Hi, I'm Dr. Paula Redmond, a clinical psychologist, and you're listening to the When Work Hurts podcast. On this show, I want to explore the stories behind the statistics of the mental health crisis facing healthcare professionals today, and to provide hope for a way out through compassion, connection, and creativity. Join me as I talk to inspiring clinicians and thought leaders in healthcare about their unique insights and learn how we can support ourselves and each other when work hurts. This week's guest is Peter Lewin, paramedic and director of Pete Lewin Newfoundlands. Pete and his pack of beautiful emotional support dogs take people out to swim with them, with often transformative results. In this episode, he talks movingly about his work with the dogs and also some of the hard times he's been through in his paramedic career. I started off by asking him to describe the Newfoundland breed. The Newfoundland dog is about 68 to 80 kilos of big furball. They're the only dog around that swims like a polar bear. They have this massive head on them, which is bigger than sort of a lot of the little dogs that you see. They have this big coat, which is sort of a, a, a double-coated. One's um, The undercoat is oily-based, so that keeps the dogs warm in the water. The outer coat is quite long fur, which when they go into the water, that acts as buoyancy, so it floats up because it's full of air. They've got a great big tail that they use as a rudder when they're in uh, moving water. They have webbed feet, and like I say, they're the only dog that swim like a polar bear, so... They don't do a doggy paddle as such. They do a more of a breaststroke, if you like. And the power that they produce is incredible and immense. And when you're being pulled by the dogs in the water, you can just feel it. And from the top, it's a bit like watching swans swimming, where they're so elegant above the water, but below there's the um, engine room. And that is exactly the same with the Newfoundland. They just don't look as if they're moving at the top but there's some massive power underneath churning them legs around and pulling. One dog alone can pull up to 12 people in buoyancy. So, you know, these, they're not small dogs and they're not an easy dog. Um, as a breed, when I, people ask me about wanting a Newfoundland, I tell them all the bad things about him first because they're big, they're clumsy, lots of slobber. They eat a lot, so there's <laughs> lots of other stuff, um, you know, and it's, Oh, you open a tin of beans and it's got a dog hair in it, you know, and it's, <laughs> but they're so fantastically lovable as well. So people say to me, well, you don't really want me to have one, do you? I said, no, I didn't say that. I'm just telling you the pitfalls of having one. Now, let me tell you the good side. The loyal, the gentle, they are clumsy, yes, but they can be really gentle. They'll look after you. Certainly for what we're doing, they're looking after other people. And to have a pet... Um, here we go. <laughs> to have a pet that can do that, you know, people say it's like swimming with dolphins and then people say it's better than swimming with dolphins. My dogs are pets. They're not wild animals brought into captivity to, to do this. They're my pets and they just love doing it. Mm. So, so tell us how you got into to working with them in this yeah. way. Yeah, so obviously, you know, we, we, we sort of did all the trials for a bit and then I developed uh, alternative trials where with the original trials, you're sending the dog away to do the test, if you like, you know, and they're swimming 25 metres, 20 metres out 
doing a test on their own. My opinion is the dog works better because he loves you and he wants to be with you. So I set up alternative trials where you work with the dog in the water. The whole thing was lovely. People really enjoyed doing it, but it, it was never really going to take off because people are all into the original tests, if you like. I got quite bored with the tests and the judging and personalities, politics within big groups. And, you know, my dog's better than your dog. Well, I'm not interested in that. I then joined the heart team, which is part of the ambulance service that has this area response team. So we're in that we're trained in working in at height, breathing apparatus trained, confined space, urban search and rescue, swift water rescue, numerous other things, you know, sort of for multi casualty events and stuff that but when we did training, they allowed us to take the dogs in and do some training with my team. And there we started to develop different manoeuvres for getting people out of the water. So the dogs helping to rescue. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so the dogs are then becoming, yeah, a rescue dog. Anyway, we I set up and we developed all these different manoeuvres, me and a couple of the others as a team. When I left the heart team, I carried on doing these manoeuvres. One of them's called a C-spine immobilisation manoeuvre. So somebody that's come off a jet ski at 60, 70 mile an hour could have a, you know, a C-spine injury. Making a human cradle around the patient supporting the head and the neck so they're in line. So sort of, yeah, head end rescuer that sort of floats underneath the patient. His legs then go round the patient's hips, if you like, and hold on to the patient's hips. He's then resting his arms on the patient's shoulders and then his hands sort of round the face either side to give them that support, a bit like um, a neck support. The leg end rescuer then goes and floats underneath the patient where he gets the the feet on his chest, holding on to the ankle, and then his legs float up and trap leg and rescuer's legs against the body. That makes that person secure. Then the dog comes out and pulls them to shore. Now, pulls all three? All three to, to shore. shore. Now then. Wow. When you've got this head and rescuer uh, who's looking after the patient, the dog's pulling all of them really, really smoothly. It's that... Look how graceful that dog is, but what's happening underneath. So it's pulling them to shore with this massive power. The head end rescuer is making a bit of a bow wave, which goes then around the patient because it's missing the patient and that patient doesn't know the moving. Now, we did a training session in Grimsby Docks with a with a guy. He was 26 stone, a training officer from the fire service. He didn't think he was moving. He said, well, this don't work very well. We're not getting anywhere. And I says, and I says mate, we're 10 foot away from the shore. Wow. Acle. And what do, the, what do the dogs hold on to? How are they, they pulling? Are they, what, when we're using it for people that are, you know, have all the proper equipment, um, we use what's called a cow's tail off the back of the uh, buoyancy aid of the head and rescuer. And then we put an extra line onto that with a carabiner. And then the dog has a rope toy. They're about six to eight inches long, bright yellow, floating rope. And that's what he works for. Now, he'll come and grab that. And that's all he's got. And he's pulling three people with that rope toy in his mouth. Just shows you the power of their, their bite to be able to do that. And then he pulls them to shore. And it could be anything up to 100 metres out. And they'll still do it. And, and they'll just keep going. Everybody that's been the patient 
have said how smooth it is. I've showed different fire services around the corner, uh, around the country, and they quite like the manoeuvre. It's never going to be used, probably never get used. But it, when we started looking at the emotional support, what we did was, instead of it all, all being hee shouty, shouty, help, I'm in trouble, we've calmed everything down to this really sedate way of doing things. So can I just can I just pause you there when you say when we started looking at the emotional supports? Tell me about that. Yeah. How well, that how that started it? was, so we've developed all these manoeuvres for real rescue. We were never going to get used for real rescue. So one of the girls in the group, Tracy, she's always been involved with me doing water safety classes in schools. So I do little workshops for primary schools because I think this old bowl bloke waffling away at the front of a class, it'll just be over the heads and out the window. We take one of the dogs in and that's your trigger. Now you've, you've got a great big new family. They're all hooked. Absolutely. So it works perfectly well with having the dogs there. And we do sort of dry land rescues with them in the classroom and we get the kids sitting down, being in the sea and all that, rocking around as if they're in the water and have somebody at the back of them. It's just using the imagination to make that, that lesson a little bit more exciting for them. So anyway, we, we I went round to see Tracy one day. I said, look, you know, um, we're going to have to change direction. We're never going to get used for for the uh, real rescue. And this is what, seven years ago. We talked about 9-11 dogs. God, that was emotional, reading stuff up on them and what they were doing for the guys. And, and, and just to add a li- little bit to that, I was in Hawaii a few weeks ago on holiday and friends who I went with are firefighter paramedics over there and a guy was coming down from Pennsylvania uh, to Hawaii to meet us. Honoured to meet this guy. Um, He survived cancer and he was one of the guys that went into the lift shafts to get body parts out and stuff and doing what I do for a living you think god my job's quite easy compared to what he's had to do and how you mentioned the 9-11 dogs so how how are dogs being used in that context Um, they were being used I can't remember the dog's name Eliza I think the dog's name was the the lady that got it wanted to use him as a pat dog and they she thought she was going to use him as a pat dog as a therapy dog yeah for for the public But where the guys were getting the bodies out of um, off the rubble and stuff, they used to be doing it for an hour or two hours at the most and then come away and have time out across the river. You know, the the is it the Hudson River they come to? And they have a, a, a you know, rest welfare sort of set up over there and these people have got the dogs there. Well, this lady was asked to take her dog to that. And the story is, you know, the guys were going out and just talking. To the dogs. Not the people, just the dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And saying to the people afterwards, you know, after being chatting to the dogs for an hour. And the dogs... Great listeners. Yeah, dogs are just going to sit. They're not going to argue, not going to talk back or anything. And these guys, and that's what they were doing. And, And, yeah, it's emotional, isn't it? Yeah. Because you've got... Yeah. This animal that lives with us that's helping these other people 
we're helping the dogs to have a better life, I suppose. But look what the dogs are doing to pay us back. Incredible. Absolutely. And that's why I get passionate about working dogs, I suppose. Yes. So just to take you just to take you back, Peter, to where we were in the story about you having this conversation about how you could make use of the dogs yeah. in a different yeah, way. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, yeah, so no, sidetracked no. a bit, yeah. But it's all, it's no, all it's sort of relevant, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so me and Tracy got chatting about this and she said, I'm going to take you back two years. She said, and I've never told this story to anybody, she said, but you was um, running a, an event or you was at an event for a cancer charity thing. There was a lady who got cancer and they had this bit of an event on and we took the dogs there to just to show people what they do and get people having a bit of a swim. Well, Tracy was late getting there and I do remember it and I can remember being stood at the back of the car with her and she weren't a normal self. So we said, come on, let's get you geared up and that. So when she got the wetsuit on, went out, swam out with her. We swam out sort of probably 40 metres and she said, oh God, this is helping me so much. And then she says about the dogs. Sorry, Jen's coming in. Do you want to know <laughs> So, So, anyway, and she says, um, that morning, the reason she was late getting there was she was going to take an overdose. She got troubles at work, family problems, you know. Uh, just her life was at a bad place. She was in this dark place. And she said that um, when Boris, the old dog that we had at the time, swam out, she said, his eyes, his beautiful big eyes look at you. And she said, he's not judging. He's not condemning. All he's doing is swimming out and taking you back to shore. And she said that floating back with him was just the most incredible feeling I've ever had. It's as if everything had been lifted off my shoulders and my life was back to normal. So that was the start of you thinking about... Well, that was it. That was a bit of a light bulb moment, I suppose. We said, well, amazing. Let's, you know, let's see what happens. So... We started, I trained the dogs anyway. I still always go in the water with them. But And when you say the water, Peter, is it like, is it the sea? Is it a lake? Yeah, is lakes. It a river? We, we, we use inland water because I live in Leicestershire. We're, we're pretty landlocked here. So, so, you know, I've had various lakes and stuff that I've used in the past. And and um, so we, we, we started just sort of putting it out there to the public at little country shows, you know, we're doing these emotional support swims. And... We're not a therapist. I'm not a counsellor. Um, they're not pat dogs. They're emotional support dogs. And it was just like, let's see how it goes. Well, um, one of the first people that turned up after this show we'd done said, I'd like to book my mum in. So we met her at the car park of the lake we use in Leicestershire. And she sort of turned up and saw the dogs in the back of the truck and had a bit of a smile we got to change into all the gear, you know, dry, um, wetsuit, dry suit, whatever it was for time of year. Buoyancy age, because everything has to be dead safe. Anyway, after about, I don't know, half an hour or so, with the lady being in the water with the dogs, the daughter came up to me who was on dry land. She said, can I have a word? Yeah, of course, what's up? 
said, whatever's happening in that water, I have not seen my mum smile like that for years. And it was just this sort of, something's happening. Something's happening in that water now. Yes, we know about the cold water therapy. We know about sort of dog therapy. But we've really hit on something with this mixing the two together. And the fact that it seems to be working. And that all the dogs are doing is swimming out to the patient, with, to me, with a person. I call them patients, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then and pulling them back to shore. They're doing nothing else, but the dog's pulling them to shore. And that's it. So just so just kind of paint the scene. So, so the the person would kind of get into a wetsuit and all sorts of things. When we run an event, we have a couple of gazebos up and a changing tent and a table with some coffees on it. So the team turns up and helps puts that on. We have the dogs out of the van, either sort of on the trailer. A couple of the dogs are loose running around because they're safe to do so. People turn up. And one thing I don't want people to do when they turn up is to feel not part of it. We're doing emotional support. These people are coming who are probably a little bit in a dark place, may have that suffering with the old anxiety, depression, PTSD, whatever. So they don't need to be there with more anxiety of what's happening. They're going to have enough of that, thinking what's it going to be like working and swimming with these great big dogs and bite might be scared of the water, you don't know. So anybody's walking up towards us where all the gazebos are, I'll go and meet them and introduce myself. Hiya, I'm Pete. Now, I'm a bit outward going anyway. I don't know if you'd noticed. (laughs) I'm not afraid to talk to people. My job makes me like that, I suppose. Anyway, when they all get there, we sort of then get them all chatting. Now, some of these people don't know each other and it's quite interesting to watch the connection being made, if you like. We then get them into the wetsuits or dry suits, depending on weather, depending on what they want to wear. The dogs will have buoyancy aids on as well. We go down to the lake and we get the people in the water for a start just to see what their abilities are. We have, a, we have about a 40-metre swim out, 40-metre swim back. And they're loving it already. They're loving the fact that they're floating about. They've not got to worry about treading water or anything. And it's just laying on the back, taking it all in. And because it's at a lake, you've got all the environmental sounds as well. doesn't matter if it's raining, but it's peace and quiet. It's natural, which is what I'm trying to do, is take people away from everyday life for just a few hours. Let's take them away from everything that causes people problems. And then what we then do is we have the dogs in the water with them, so, yes, we have got pack dogs, but they're very wet. So people will be in the water holding dogs for us. That is something special for people as well. It's like some people come just to do that, just to hold the dog and sit with them in the water. But then what we do is I swim out 25, 30 metres, take the first person with me, get them in the water and call one of the dogs out and we've got Storm, Sonar and Walker that are the working dogs at the minute. We have Bob, who's dry Bob. He doesn't go into the water. (laughs) He does, he paddles and he he, he will sit with people and he doesn't swim. And we've got Ralph the pup. He's 12 months old on Monday. 
And so he's not actually swimming and working yet. But what he's doing is he's running around the bankside, coming in and out of the water, sitting with people. He's learning the ropes, as we all learn the ropes in new jobs. And he's learning the ropes by the socialise. So then the person swims out with me, which, again, is part of what we're doing. It's not just being... It's not just float, you know, swimming out with the dogs or anything. It's you doing that little bit of exercise. You may not be used to it. In a dry suit and a buoyancy shade, it's quite hard swimming. But it's part of what we do. And then we have a chat when we get there and dog comes out, they swim out. And this is all just to show people what the dog's powers are. And then they hang on to the dog by his harness and then dog just checks them back to shore. Now... They don't have to swim or anything. The dog's just pulling them. You can see that confidence building up because I'm out in the water watching the group. When that dog, whether it be Storm, Sonar, Walker, they've just taken them back to shore, it's their dog. Storm's rescued me. This is my dog. Or oh, you wait till you have a go. You can see it happening. Next person swims out to me. We send the dog out which is a different dog, Sonar or Walker. And that person becomes, that's my dog. But then when we've done it the three times and the dogs have to come out again, they're all talking about how it feels. And that anxiety is lifting. So the next swim is, is if somebody's, again, this is a real rescue manoeuvre that I've developed, is someone's in the water. In you know, If it was a real rescue, they'd have T-shirt and jeans on maybe do it slightly different but what I do is I swim out and I grab their left arm and hold that across the chest their right arm because that's potentially something that punched me in the face so if it was a real rescue and someone's panicking I don't need being punched I'm there to help I trap that between my legs so I'm under them in the water underneath them so I've got the left arm the right arm is a trap between my legs so they can't punch me with that and then the head I can just move that forwards as I need it because I've got my spare right arm. I don't need to do that for this because this is everything's calmed right down and it's and I still do the manoeuvre because you imagine somebody who's got a bit of anxiety, you know, PTSD, whatever. They're feeling a bit vulnerable. It's that holding them, that close sort of contact is containing. Absolutely. And and I'm talking to them. And as we're going back to shore, I just stop talking. So it's, they've got the peace of the dog pulling them back, the noise of the dog pulling them back to shore. And it just, just works. So we do that for all six of them. The, the third one we do is this C-spine mobilisation manoeuvre. And again, it's all calmed really right down. Show them, we, we, we should sort of give them a demo of what it's all about. That's quite moving, really, for some people. The person, we send them out, the three people go out. So you've got your two rescuers and your person who's, who's the patient. We swim out with the dog. Well, I swim out after them and, and, and sort of get them all set up. So they're in that hold. And I'll ask the person, how do you feel? And they say, secure. Yeah. Dog comes out, pulls them back to shore. I've had people in tears. I've had people asleep. And they, 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 they just say it's, 
the feeling is weightlessness and as if it doesn't matter. Nothing matters why they're in that position. They've got two people in that cradle holding them. Uh, I had a lady a few weeks back, she came and she lost a son and her, her husband two years ago. She said, when she got back to shore, it's the first time she's felt safe and secure in two years. And that's all because whatever we're doing. Yeah, it's yeah, very powerful. You know, and it's mm. whether the water's full of magic dust or what, I don't know. But, and I, I can't explain, I can't explain how it works because each individual has got their own story. The final swim we do is what we call the quiet swim. So we swim out about 40, 50 metres. So the dogs have gone from pulling two of us, pulling three of us, and then we drop them down to the one for the quiet swim. So there's only four sort of things that they do. The quiet swim, we swim out about 50 metres. I take the first person with me and I want everybody on the bank to be as quiet as they can because it's called the quiet swim. And all you can hear is the dog blowing through his nose as he's swimming out to you. And as he's coming out, they're just coming out to do what they do. And it's magical to see them working. They go round, dog goes round the back of me and I get the person to hold on to them. So the line on the back, head first, going back towards the shore. So they're facing the same way as dog's head. And I'll say, don't open your eyes or do anything until somebody actually touches you on the bank. Have that trust. When they sort of swimming out, again, it's that sort of anxiety thing. They're not really sure what to expect. Hmm. But it's amazing when they hold on to that dog. Again, some sort of magic dust somewhere along the line. And when they get back to shore, I have a lot of people in tears with that one because they're just checking everything in, eyes shut, and everything around them is natural, absolutely natural. And And I've seen them from when I've been out in the water hugging each other because it's been that emotional for them. Amazing. And, and myself, I like coming back and they have to wake me up because I just go to sleep. Now, like I said before, I'm not a counsellor, I'm not a therapist. All I'm doing is taking people away from everyday chores and modern society for a few hours and it seems to work. And can I ask, Pete, about the work that you've done specifically with health professionals and, and frontline yeah. Yeah, I workers? Mean, last year, East Midlands Ambulance Service asked us to do some swims for the staff, which we did. We did them through the summer. I do a, um, a lot of swims up in Yorkshire for Our Blue Light, which is a mental health charity for emergency and essential services. And again, it's trying to get people to come sometimes and people are a bit unsure about but when they do come they tell the others you need to come and have a go at this it must be quite such an experience of of being on the other side of that kind of being rescued themselves if if your day job is about rescuing and saving people i think a lot of it is is because 
when we're in green, people think we're unbreakable. We're not. I have jobs that um, haunt me a little bit. I don't feel... I get emotional when I'm talking about some stuff because it's talking about the dogs and... But, um, yeah, there's a couple of jobs that hurt. You know, one was six kids murdered in a house. Oh, God. Mm. And I guess there's just something about the weight of that and, and how people carry everything they've witnessed. Yeah. And, and it's it's having to live with it. You know, I retire next week. That doesn't leave me, though, does it? But it's not just me, is it? It's all them guys. And I feel for the youngsters... Because I had a life before I joined the ambulance service. I didn't join until I was 38. I nearly drowned in the Val Dam when I was 21. And that's hard, you know. That's a little difficult to live with now and again. But the youngsters are coming from being living at home. A few years ago, they were at school. They're going to university where everything's pretty much laid on for them, yeah, they're having to pay the money and that to do the courses, but it's 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 not the real world. As, as, and then they come out and all of a sudden they're smashed in the face with reality. You know, not everything we see is gunshots and kniving and stuff and horrific trauma, but it's what you're dealing with people in. Well, we see things that nobody should see, really. And that's, and as I put it, is when I've ta- talked to like military veterans that come swimming, they tell me about how they're affected, and it's one bang in about ten years they've got PTSD. They've gone to, done the training as a sixteen to eighteen year old, gone out to Afghan, see the mates, you know, shot, blown up, whatever, and that's a short sort of bang, and it's got them. We don't get that in the ambulance service. We're drip-fed it over the years. You know, and it's not necessarily the horrible things. It's how we deal with grieving families. And we have to be the rock. But how long Mm. can you be a rock for? Mm. And I'm curious, Pete, as well, thinking about, you know, you coming to the end of your ambulance career or... Yeah. approaching that and what the health service has kind of been through in the last few years particularly and kind of where it's at right now what your what your reflections are in terms of the impact that has on, on yeah. staff I mean years ago when I started we were on A&E you know we'd probably do two not two jobs in a shift you know in a night shift I'm not turned a wheel in the past and, you know, you think, yeah, I'm done to you. get a job at three in the morning. Well, I started at 11. Give me a job at three. God, it's going to make me late off. But as time's gone on, it's got worse and worse for sort of getting busier and busier now. Yeah, that's what we do for a living. It's what our job is, looking after people. 
our jobs now, not sitting on the back of an ambulance for eight hours, ten hours, waiting at hospital. That's not our job. That then becomes a ward, really, because, and we're not nurses. We deal with stuff in the community, take them to hospitals to get mended. And that has a massive effect on people, I think. Um, I'm quite lucky in the fact I work on a response car. So I work on my own. But I don't have to go to the hospitals very often. And I don't know if I could still be in the job if I had to sit in the back of an ambulance for eight hours a day waiting to be. And these kids are being brought up into that. Now, they're not going to last. Because who can last sitting eight hours with one patient? We're not we're not nurses, we're trained for emergency care. So the, the pressures are different, but I guess there's also something you touched on about that, you know, exposure to trauma that, as you said, is, is a kind of constant drip feeding and, and you maybe get some of these, you know, really sticky experiences that stay with you forever, but there's also an undercurrent of exposure to, you know, the really most horrific things that happen in... Yeah, and, and you see that. I say the one that hurts me a little bit is, you know, six kids murdered in a house. And whether well, I should say that or not, I don't know, but, yeah. But what them poor kids went through and that. And it's the only job, I've got to be honest, in 26 years of doing the job, it's the only job that's brought me to tears. It was tough. And now, now because of what I'm doing, you know, a friend of mine in America, he runs Worldwide Peer Support. His name's Skip Ockerman. Um, he was alcoholic and he was addicted on, on, on drugs and things. And he's been clean now for 24 years. Now, he reached out to God, you know, and Jesus and all that, and the, and the religious side of things. I have a lot to do with them over there. And we're sort of part of this worldwide peer support with Pete Louie Newfoundlands. I'm not religious at all. But I reach out to the dogs, I suppose, and that's my—I suppose—that's my God, and that's what I reach out to. Yeah, and I want because I wanted to ask you what this has meant for you being involved in this work and the impact it's had for you. Mentally proud, very passionate. In lockdown, or oh, can yeah. hear them there <laughs> agreeing with you. In, in lockdown, <laughs> uh, when we couldn't do it made me realise actually how much I'll miss it. Yeah, I couldn't help colleagues. I couldn't I couldn't help people that needed that bit of help with with my pets. I couldn't do it and it was a bit frustrating. And then when we got that green light to go and play for a few months before the second lockdown, I realised then perhaps actually this helps me quite a lot because it was like a shoulder, weight being lifted off my shoulders, helping people again, you know, not and not just having a chat with them, you know, and it was being able to get back in the water and seeing people's happy, smiley faces and and just doing something, what they wanted to do. And we had quite a lot of swims in that short time, you know, and then we started doing some work with the military veterans. Amazing. The results we got from that incredible. So these guys have been through it. You know, we've been through it as well, but I've not had people shooting at me. I've not been dodging landmines and things. And to be able to help these guys, 
and that was like a pilot scheme. And then that's took off. And this year we've had six swims, one one a month for the military veterans. Incredible. And is your sense, Pete, because I mean, it sounds when you describe it, just, you know, an amazing experience that feels really good in the moment. Is your sense or do you hear about that impact having a, a more lasting effect oh, than absolutely. just yeah, it absolutely. being a nice experience? Um, all the staff that came with me from from work uh, last year, whenever I see them, because I'm, I work on my own, I work in the county station, I don't see that many, less people back me up than that. But when they do see me and they've been swimming with the dogs, everybody asks how the boys are. And they said, what a great day that was. Now, a few weeks back, well, a few months ago, a lady came from, um, we did a first swim up in Yorkshire, at our blue light. A lady came along. She works with kids with behavioural issues. She runs a group. In that, she has to do sort of exams and things, sort of. She's quite a nervous wreck, bless her. <laughs> she's, and she'd tell you that herself. You know, she gets quite nervous for exams and the anxiety builds up because she's got to go and put answers down and things. I hate exams myself. I don't like doing them. If I, if I don't have to do another one in my life, I, I won't miss it. Anyway, she had to swim. She absolutely loved it. I was then told a couple of weeks later when she went for the exam, she'd no anxiety at all. Last swim we did was probably a month ago. No, it weren't. About two, three weeks ago we did in Yorkshire. And she came for another swim. And I said, so how's it been going then? She said, I am still reeling the effects of the first swim. I have not ever been so calm and relaxed as I have been since that swim. What an amazing thing to somebody say to you. And I said, well, what are you going to do with this one then? She said, I just want to see if it helps and tops up. Anyway, we, after the swim on the the second day, we had to swim. So now I did that feel. She said, better than the first time. She said, better than the first time. And she said, I just feel so, so chilled. It sounds like it's something that, that really can kind of get into people's nervous systems. You know, it's not a talking, it's not thinking, it's kind of really straight to to the core of us. And really, and if people are, you know, particularly people who have had really stressful work and exposure to trauma often our, our nervous systems are, are really heightened and we kind of have this baseline of fight flight all the time but this is an intervention that really just can calm that down in such a fundamental way that doesn't yeah. need words yeah. or thinking around it just really a very embodied yeah, because when experience. people come for the swim i never ask any questions i don't need to I don't, and I don't want to ask because I'm not a counsellor. I'm not asking them about their life. I'm not going to give them answers. It's not what I do. We just get people to turn up and have a swim, and and everybody has their own reaction to it. But nearly everybody comes out with a bit of the same results. Like me being a paramedic, compared to say half a dozen other paramedics, we'll all do the job a different way we'll all end up with the same result 
and it's a bit like it's a bit like that swimming with the dogs. Some people stand there and look like they're not enjoying it. You think, well, are they enjoying it or not? And they all come out with that same mate. That was amazing. I was just going to ask you what the future holds for the dogs and you in this way. Well, we've always been funded by ourselves, basically. And we do charge for a swim, but I want people to swim. So I don't charge a lot of money. So I charge, at the minute, £25 a head for a swim. And that's all the equipment and everything involved. Things might change next year a little bit because obviously the cost of everything's going up. So we might have to change a bit more. This year, we won Hero Dog of the Year at Crufts, the Kennel Club's Hero Dog of the Year, for the work we're doing. And that all stems from that swim between the lockdowns. And we did the pilot swim for military veterans. And they sort of put a press release out, and BBC and ITV came. So they came and filmed it. A lady from the Kennel Club watched it and seen it sent them an email saying, do you want to nominate Pete and his dogs for Hero Dog of the Year? Of course, it all went quiet, didn't it, because of lockdown again. So we didn't hear anything for 12 months or whatever it was. I had an email from the Kennel Club saying, was I still interested in being put forward to Kennel Club of the Year, Hero Dog of the Year? I said, well, yeah, why not? My whole theory in life is nothing ventured, nothing gained. So she rang me back a few days later and said, you've got through to the final. It's like a, a judging panel that judges it. We had to do a film. They came and filmed us about what we're doing. Um, you can find it uh, on Pete Lewin, Newfoundland's Google page. I still shed a tear watching it, even though it was me doing it. Then we went to London to the Kennel Club's HQ for the launch of it. And it, trying to not tell people about that we've been put forward for this. Incredible. <laughs> and then, then um, we were given permission to put forward to it. Everybody, people all around the world were voting for us. Anyway, the guys that were also in it, there's four other people with their dogs in it, all got a magnificent story to tell. We all met up before we had to go into the arena and uh, we all had a drink and, and I sort of said, look, you know, thank you for all being and and let the you know the best man win sort of thing. Thinking, well, it ain't going to be me because fire service dog, guy who's got a guide dog for the blind. And then we went into the arena. God, that was a really moving. And then they came around to talk to all of us individually. And then when um, Sarah Phillips, she was in um, Bridget Jones's diary, I think, she came and she, she sort of had a bit of a chat and then she went off and opened the envelope up and said, you know, the winners are <laughs> Pete and Bob. Yeah, amazing. So, so, so proud. You know, and it's all from a bit of an accident, really. From not doing real rescue work, thinking what we're going to do. And we've started this and... It does sound like real rescue work. You know, you know when people say that. You know, if I was doing real rescue work, I'd be doing a call out once a month, six weeks, whatever. When I take six people swimming, that's six people's lives I'm changing. Thank you for listening. 
If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please do share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. I'd love to connect with you, so do come and find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also sign up to my mailing list to keep up to date with future episodes and get useful psychology advice and tips straight to your inbox. All the links are in the show notes. Thanks again, and until next time, take good care.